ready for your questions about employment and severance and anything under that vast umbrella. Lior also has a uh, number he keeps with him all the time. If you're bashful, 416-216-5900. And finally, Lior, L-I-O-R, at employmenthour.com. We always start our show, my friend, with the week that was. Oh, you know, one time we once started with the week that was. We'll and start with a joke, a little cabaret. Turn everyone off, and then people just won't understand what's happening, yeah. what show they're listening to. You'll do some shtick one week to stand up. <laughs> God help us all. Yeah. Silence, nothing was, on the radio. Was a young man from Nantucket. Anyway, go ahead. <laughs> Thanks, John. And uh, welcome, everyone, to the show. Uh, obviously, I always like to start off by talking about a couple matters that I saw this week uh, that I dealt with. Just to give people a flavor, some of the issues you may be facing in the workplace and you're sitting there thinking, uh, what does this mean? Can I do something and, and how can this be resolved? Well, let me tell you about a couple of situations that I myself saw and dealt with this week. Uh, the first one involved an employee that unfortunately uh, about uh, eight months ago uh, had to go off on a disability because of a serious medical condition. Uh, and, and he went off and I was fine and, and you know, he had a surgery and he, eventually he got better. Well, fast forward to this uh, past summer when he, his doctor says, you can go back to work with some uh, modified duties, with some restrictions. Uh, and he sends a doctor's note to his employer, says, okay, I can come back to work. And my doctor's saying, Here's our, here are my restrictions. So you, you know, I can't lift more than 20 pounds. Sure. I can't uh, walk for more than 15 minutes at a time. A few of those. Uh, employer writes back, says, well, you know, let us review it and we'll get back to you. Finally, the employer responds and says, well, we, we don't have any position at this point uh, to accommodate your restrictions. So uh, you can go off and continue a disability leave, maybe go on EI for a while, and we'll see in about three or four months if your position improves. Okay. So normally, that wouldn't necessarily be a problem, except in this case, I asked this individual, but you tell me, could you do your job? You know, he was a, 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 a position that, you know, had a, you know, shipping and receiving clerk. Uh, could you do the job? And he said, I can tell you I've been doing this job for four years. I could do all elements of my job with these restrictions. I don't lift more than 20 pounds. I don't have to walk more than 15 minutes. I don't have to climb stairs. You know, I work on a computer and I go take a look at a truck. I come back to the computer. So he already doesn't do that stuff. So he doesn't do that stuff. So he could stuff. do his job. He could do his job. Right. And that employer says, well, well, we don't have anything for you. Well, it doesn't work that way. If he, he's the, already have it. <laughs> right. If the employer employee could do the job, they have a right to their job. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if you don't give them their job, guess what? Then you, you've terminated them by your contract. So this employer, even though uh, they didn't uh, mean necessarily or didn't think they were terminating the employee's employment, at law, they terminated his employment. They wouldn't give him his job back. Wow. So we, t- we took the position that th- this employee, and he had been there for a long time doing this particular job for four years, uh, that uh, his employment was terminated. And the employer says, no, no, we, we never terminated. Well, guess what? We resolved this case this week at a mediation. The, the guy ended up getting 18 months of compensation. Oh, they didn't bring him back. No, they, they, they oh. didn't bring him back. Uh, and then we took the position that, you know, given the fact that he was treated this way, no job, come back in a few months, the relationship now has deteriorated to the point that even if they wanted him back, it wouldn't be practical. It's yeah, it's soured. So we set all this on the basis of 18 months compensation. So this is one of those situations where we're going to talk about more uh, in the second hour of the show today where your employment could be terminated without actually formally being terminated. Right. Uh, so so not, it's not as simple sometimes as just getting a termination letter. In some situations, uh, you're entitled to severance. You can consider your employment terminated even though the employer has never actually made that uh, conscious decision. Mm-hmm. So, so that's one case very interesting and, and obviously resolved uh, this week. And the other situation, a very unfortunate uh, situation, uh, this empl- uh, my client, again, an employee, had worked for a company for many years, 
uh, and received that couple of weeks' notice that the business is closing. The the landlord was uh, yeah, knocking on the door. The employer the employer doesn't have any any money, so they're going to have to close down the business for lack of funds. Now that's always a problem because an employee like this is entitled to severance. But if the company has no money, blood from a stone. Exactly, right? you yeah. can't do it. So it's nice to say yes, I'm entitled to a hundred thousand dollars in severance. But there still has to be someone with the ability to pay. So at first, uh, at first glance, it appeared that this company does not have the ability to pay. They they were certainly in dire financial straits. But uh, I had uh, one of our students at the law firm do some more investigation, and we found out that somehow magically. The owner's son, uh, the, the company's owner's son, mm-hmm. started running uh, a similar business with a similar name just down the road. And we did some further investigation, and we found out that before he started running this business, the son, the owner had sold some of the assets of the old business to the son. Ah. Well, you know, the law the, is very simple in this situation. If you're uh, reorganizing and, and, and shifting assets uh, amongst family in this way just to avoid having to pay your financial obligations, uh, no, this no work, okay? So, <laughs> Looks like a duck, sounds no, like a duck. It's a duck. <laughs> so that, that, that's not possible. So in this situation, we were still able to take legal action, resolve the matter on good terms because of this, this transaction. It's not that the company may not have had money, but they still managed to continue running a business through the sun in a different nice. way. So the, the, my client, who again, worked for a company for a long time, instead of two weeks' notice, he got a, a fair amount of severance. We'll take a short break. I have employment questions. Serve them up. We're ready to go. Employment Hour on Talk Radio, AM 640. The employment hour continues, and yeah, you got questions. Uh, we're ready here. Well, I'm not ready to answer. I don't know anything, but Lior will answer them all for sure. I got uh, Tony in Toronto. Hi, Tony. How are you? Hi there. Good. You got a question for Lior? Go ahead. Yes. Yeah, so the question is, if you have been given a option to be uh, laid off, and you've been advised that you're going to be on the list, uh, if you if you will, uh, to be laid off, and my question, I guess, with that. Previs, are you able to start looking for another job? And if you do find another job, uh, uh, is you know, and your start date is after the uh, the date that you were laid off, is that uh, acceptable? And when you talk, Tony, about a, a layoff, are you talking about a potentially a temporary layoff? Is the idea that the company will lay you off and at some point bring you back? No, full time. Uh, for, for, for good, done. For good. So once you, first of all, a couple of issues here. Uh, number one, if you're laid off, okay, then you're entitled to severance. So let, let's be clear on that. And how much depends on the length of your employment, your age and position. And, I, and if you want to give me that information, I can give you an assessment. But uh, your specific question, when you uh, lose your job, you do have an obligation to try to look for work. Uh, and if you are successful in finding a job immediately, that may mean that your former employer may have to pay you some less severance. Uh, but ultimately, you have to look for work. But the, the first question really is how much severance. So how, how long have you worked with this company, Tony? It was six years, and it's in an uh, uh, engineering position. Okay. Uh, w- what occurred is I, uh, was put, I was advised that I was going to be put on the list. Yes, I, I was advised that I should try to find a job within the organization. That uh, I did look for that uh, with the support of the management. Another uh, position wasn't uh, available, so I was put on the list, as I said, formally. So I started looking elsewhere. Yes, I, I was uh, had some good uh, leads, and what ended up happening is I was given severance, 
However, uh, uh, I, uh, the, I started the job, I think, a month, approximately a month or five weeks after uh, I was laid off. And a new job with a different company? At a different company, but I was given a severance. Yeah. And in the severance package, it was a one-month sum. It, it had no wording stating that if I find another job I within X amount of time, mm -hmm. i got to pay X amount of money. Okay. Make a long story short, the, custom, the, the company now is asking for their monies back. Got it. I understand. So, so let me say this, Tony. Uh, if you agreed to a severance and there was no explicit written condition that says that if you find another job, uh, then you have to, to pay us back. You do not have to pay, uh, you don't have to pay them anything back. So, so let's be clear on that. Now, a month severance, by the way, no matter what, even if you found a job the next day, it would be a lot less than what you're actually entitled to because the very minimum under the Employment Standards Act that you're owed is six weeks' pay. And it's possible you're owed a heck of a lot more than that. So here's what we're going to do, Tony. Here's what I propose. Give me a call at the office. Let me talk more because forget about you owing money back to the company. They actually may owe you significantly more. So give me a call at the office and let's talk about that. Tony, that number. Tony, that number is 416-216-5900. 416-216-5900. Give Lior a call. That is, uh, it's written in the stars because I want to talk about temporary layoffs. This Good morning, timing, right? yes. So uh, let's write down the beginning. What is a temporary layoff? How is it different than, say, a regular termination? Yes, thanks, John. And a temporary layoff usually uh, is a situation where the employer decides to, to effectively suspend employment for a period of time, usually for business reasons. Mm -hmm. The idea being that the, the employer will call the employee back at some point, uh, usually when business improves, when uh, you know, the season changes, etc. Uh, so that's, that's the idea, that the, the relationship doesn't end. In most cases with a temporary layoff, there's no explicit date known at the beginning when the layoff will end. It's just a matter, you know, we hope in the next uh, you know, little while we can call you back. Whereas a, a regular, a full-time or, or a permanent layoff, the idea is employment is at an end, you're not coming back. So that, that's generally the difference. Uh, and, uh, you know, most, situ most employers, uh, in fact, uh, men that I've known do try uh, temporary layoff in some situations. And as we're going to get into in a moment, in many cases, they do that illegally. So is an employer allowed to lay off employers temporarily? What's the difference between that and a termination? I mean, especially if they're not coming back. Yeah, well, guess what? Uh, there's no right to, and many people are going to be shocked. Employers are going to be shocked by this. A lot of lawyers even may be shocked by this, mm -hmm. is there is no right to lay off temporarily. And what do I mean by that? What I mean by that is that if you lay someone off temporarily, that is a termination. There's no right to lay someone off temporarily. So if you've been laid off temporarily, even though the employer thinks, I'm going to call you back, things are going to improve, in the next couple of months, that is a termination. You can treat that right there as a termination and require the employer to pay you severance as if they had permanently laid you off, okay? There's no, there's no right. There's a lot of misconceptions out there that, well, the employer can lay off for 13 weeks or for, for a period of, of time. Right, right. That is wrong. That it's only in very uh, rare situations we're going to get, uh, get, get into. But ultimately, a layoff, a temporary layoff, John, is a termination. An employee gets severance. So if someone's uh, a roofer, for instance, obviously the fall and winter time is not a, a popular time to be up on a roof laying down shingles. What does that person do? So if you're uh, employed in a seasonal type of job, mm -hmm. so you know, you're not going to have a work in, in, in the summertime uh, or sorry, in the wintertime because of the, the type of job that you do or you, know, you, you, work, you 
clean pools. You're not going to sure. have a job in, in the wintertime. That is different because it's an implied term of your contract of okay. employment that, well, you're not going to have work in, a, in a, a particular period of time. But let's say you work in a manufacturing facility and it happens that this year is a slow year. I understand that. Well, then let's lay off someone temporarily and hope that, that when business improves in the next three months, we're going to bring them back. No, can't do that. I mean, unless the employee agrees and, and accepts it. But by doing that, you've terminated employment. By doing that, even though you wanted to bring the employee back, right. you may have lost the employee legally and have to pay them full severance today. So if an employer does lay off an employee temporarily, I'm the guy. What do I do? So you have a choice, John. So sure. you, you've been told by the, your employer that uh, I'm going to lay you off temporarily. At some point, I hope to bring you back. You have a choice. The choice is this. You can wait. You can do nothing and hope that at some point the employer ca- uh, calls you back, whether it's uh, a week, a month, or six months. Or you can say, no, I'm not going to accept that. I'm going to consider my employment as being terminated, start looking for other work, and require your employer now to pay you severance, to treat that as a termination. Now, think about it, John. We've talked in the past about this concept of constructive dismissal. Oh, yeah. And I've told you that, you know, if your employer reduces your pay, let's say, you know, 10%, 15%, that's a constructive dismissal. You can treat that as a termination. Well, what's a temporary layoff? A temporary left is a situation where your employment, uh, your uh, salary is changed by 100%. Right, you're not you, making nothing. You went from making yeah. your salary to making zero. So if 10% or 15% change is a constructive dismissal, 100% certainly is. We'll take a short break. Questions, throw them at us. Lior at employmenthour.com. More on temporary layoffs right here in the Employment Hour on Talk Radio AM 640. Give us a call indeed, because this whole temporary layoff uh, topic always opens up a big can of worms. So um, how often do you see this, temporary layoffs? Because, I mean, I'm not an lo- employment lawyer, and I hear people saying, oh, yeah, no, you can do 13 weeks. I get laid off once. There's yeah. no problem. I see this all the time. Mm-hmm. Probably not a week goes by when I don't speak to one or, or, or more people that have been laid off temporarily, and they want to know what any and all this means. Uh, or I talk to employers and say, I want to lay someone off temporarily. Can I do that? So, no, uh, it's very, very common. And, there's, and the reason why it's common, there's, there's misconception. And that misconception is perpetuated by the Employment Standards Act that allows a temporary layoff to, help, uh, to, to happen, except what our courts have done is they said, no, no, you cannot do that. You cannot lay someone temporarily unless there's a contract of employment that explicitly gives you that power. So if you've signed a contract of employment, you're an employee. When you started working, you signed the contract that says uh, the employer can lay you off temporarily if they need to for business reasons. Then the employer has a right to lay you off temporarily for a period of time. If you did not, and I bet you 99.9% of the people listening to the show right now did not sign a contract of employment like that, uh, then they cannot be laid off temporarily. And if they are, that's a termination. And they have that choice to make that we've talked about before the break. It all goes back to that contract, right? Everything all goes back Everything. to that contract. Everything. It, it's Because an employment relationship is contract-based. Whether the contract is oral or, or, or in writing, it's contract-based. So we know we've gone through this exercise uh, you know, for almost two years here. It's you know, age, length of employment. And the type of job you got, that's for, for calculating severance if you get uh, terminated. terminated. Now, how does that, uh, is it different? Uh, let me ask that. Is it different if it's a layoff situation? And, and, and that's always the question. It's not different at all. So if you've been laid off temporarily, and as I've said, that's a termination. You're entitled to severance today. So that's not a weak severance for every year of service. And it's not dependent on the size of the company. Mm-hmm. Or oh, if it's a big company, it's this much. If it's a small company, it's that much. No. We look at the person's age, length of employment, and the type of job, the size of the employer, it doesn't matter. And on that basis, the employee is entitled to severance. Now, uh, that doesn't help the people listening right now because they still don't know how much severance they're entitled to get. So what, so what do I say? You call me and I'll tell you. 
Or just as easy, you go to severancepaycalculator.com. We've created that tool. It tells you exactly how much severance you're owed. Uh, you know, it's available online. But yes, if you've been laid off temporarily, you're entitled to the exact same amount of severance you would get if the employer flat out ended the employment. Should you just do that right off the top or does it become a matter of choice? Like, hey, you know, I like where I work and I, you know, if I've got enough in the bank, I can last six weeks with no work. I like my employer. He's a friend. Do you still, should you make that choice saying, okay, I'll accept it? Exactly. And it's a choice. In some situations, you may say, you know what, this is a good job. I like the job. I like working there. Uh, I, I believe that they're going to call me back. I want to maintain that relationship with the mm-hmm. employer. Right. So that that's fine. That's perfectly fine. There's nothing wrong with that. You, you then wait and hope you get called back. But the point is, you have that choice. It's yours yep. to make. And you certainly are not there just beholden to the employer waiting, and then it's, it's all in the employer's uh, court to, uh, to make that decision. You can make that choice. One thing I will say is this. Uh, if you decide, well, you know what, I'm going to wait. I'm going to just sit at home and hopefully the employer calls me back and the employer calls you back and you were right to go back to work. Okay. By virtue of going through this and now you've been called back, the employer has now gained the right to do it again. To do it right. again. That's and that's key. Ask. So the, they don't have a right to do it the first time, but the second and the third time now they do because you've let them in the past. So that's the problem here. You got to think in the future. What if now this becomes a yearly thing and now every year you're going to be laid off not having any income and then you you may say, well, you know what, now I'm not going to accept that anymore. Well, now it's too late because a year ago and two years ago, you let them do it. So you got to think about allowing them to do it and what that means for your future. Give us a call if you have questions for uh, Lior. Is there situations where they are allowed? Yeah. Well, generally speaking, and, and there's a couple of situations. Number one, if, as I've said already, if it's a uh, seasonal type of employment, if it's clear that the type of work, and the type of job that you have uh, is going to be uh, you know, going in ebbs and flows based on the time of year. So, so that's one. And another situation, as I said, is if there's a contract of employment mm-hmm. that specifically gives the employer the power to lay the employee off. In that case, then yes, you can lay off someone temporarily, uh, and and uh, and there's nothing wrong with that. And finally, as I've already said, that the other time that you can lay off someone is if there's a history, if there's a, if there's a past practice. Right. Uh, you've gained that right now; it becomes a term of employment because we've done it before. It was fine, so now we can do it again. So, past practice, seasonal employment, or a contract explicitly gives the power. In every other situation. Uh, a layoff is a termination. The employee is entitled to severance. Let's look at it from the employer's side then. They want to be able to lay off temporarily. What can they do? Well, the first thing they need to do, and probably the only thing they need to do, uh, is ensure that they have properly drafted contracts with their employees. Right. Uh, and if you are in type of business where you're concerned about being able to sustain an employee for the full year, uh, you may have to let them go at some point or lay them off temporarily just for a period of time then you want to think about that in advance. You want to have them sign a contract of employment that says exactly that. We may have to lay you off temporarily and then bring you back. Because if you have that, you can do that. You can do that whenever business requires you to do it. So that's what, that's what you need to do. You, you need to have a contract of employment. And if you want to introduce a contract to an existing employee, it's a bit more of a tricky situation. Absolutely can be done. I would suggest an employer like that give me a call and I can walk them through that. Donnie and Rexdale. Hi, Donnie. You got a question for Lior? Yes, uh, how's it going, guys? Good, man. How are you? I'm not too bad. Okay. I got a question. Uh, the work uh, I work for, uh, they want uh, like, the teachers to come in half an hour early and not pay them. Uh, are, they, are they allowed to do that and then say that we have to leave the premises by 8 o'clock to go to whatever services we got to do in repairs? 
Uh, no. So to, to answer your question, they, they certainly are not allowed to say, well, now instead of coming in at 9, you're going to come in at 8.30 or whatever it is, and you're not going to yeah. get paid extra. They, they cannot do that. The question, though, becomes, well, if they are insisting, what do you do about it? So you may say, no, I'm not going to accept that employer, so too yeah. bad. And if they back off, great. If not, they may decide to terminate your employment. That would be a termination without cause, which means you're entitled to severance, but they would still have a right to terminate your employment and hire someone that is willing to do that. So, no, they they can't penalize you for refusing to do that. They can't say, we're going to let you go for cause and not pay you severance, but they could certainly terminate you uh, with severance. So it's up to you to decide what's best for you. Okay. Makes sense. Thanks, Donnie. We'll uh, hang on. We'll take Suzanne to take a break. Take a break first. Yeah, we'll take a break. And I got one more question as, uh, as it pertains to temporary layoffs as well. Suzanne, hang on the line. Everyone else calling as well. Lots more to go. The Employment Hour on Talk Radio AM 640 and AM 900 CHML. A lot of calls coming through. We always get to them. Before I take the first call, one final question about uh, temporary layoffs. If you are laid off, if you do accept it for two months, three months, whatever, do they have to continue all the other aspects of your employment, your benefits, uh, bonuses, all that stuff, or is that also on temporary layoff? Uh, it's, uh, it's up for the employer. Again, it's a termination in any event. So whether they continue or not, it's still a termination. Okay. Under the Employment Standards Act, they, they do have to continue benefits for a period of time. Answer, I've yet to, I, I can't stump this guy. Susan, how are you? Hi. Hi. You got a question for Lior? Go ahead. Yeah, I am. I've been on uh, long-term disability for two and a half years, and as soon as I said I was coming back to work, uh, I had a phone call from them, and they said that they're closing down that portion of the business, and they're letting me. They're letting me go. So I haven't gone back to work yet, but they did tell me kind of similar what my package is going to be. But I have my age against me. And how old are you, Susan? Fifty-one. And how long total have you been there, including the time you've been off on disability? Uh, eight years. Eight years. And what kind of job? What were you doing? Uh, I was a, uh, an analyst. Okay. So someone in your situation will be looking at 10 to 12 months of compensation. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, and what, what have they uh, suggested? What they have they offered? Uh, they offered six, six months, uh, three months continuation, and yeah. then three months uh, um, with benefits for the first three months, and then the, uh, the second uh, three months is just a lump sum, no okay. benefits. So, no, that's not a good offer. I'm, I'm, I'm easy, easy to say that. Now, that said, there's also another issue here, potentially. If they're letting you go because of or it's related to the disability, this could be a human rights issue. If it's not, if it's legitimately that the department is closed and there's really no way they could ever take you back, then, then it's just an issue of severance, and, but this, you're still severance is not good. So what you need to do, Susan, you need to call me off air. Let's talk about that. I do want to find out more about why they're letting you go and if it's legitimate, if there's no human rights issues. Well, and- it's a large company, and um, so it's, but the, the department that I'm in yep. is closing down. They did tell me that I could apply somewhere else in the, in the company, um, but that's not until I get my package and all of that. Well, be that as it may, I can tell you without any hesitation, there's no hesitation on this end, is that six months is not appropriate. It's, it's somewhere near about 50 cents on the dollars for you. So because of that, let's talk about it, and we can talk about how we improve it. It's not a complicated thing at all. Okay. So please do give me a call. Susan, that number, 416-216-5900. 416-216-5900. That's to get a hold of Lior directly. Got uh, Joe out on Highway 6. Hi, Joe. How are you? Well, not too bad. How are you guys? Good, man. What do you got? A question for Lior. Go ahead. Uh, yeah. Um, my employer decided to uh, take our breaks away. Uh, is he legally entitled to do that? So uh, no more breaks, uh, and, and is it changed to your compensation in any way? No. Like, we work eight and a half hours. Uh, actually, we're there nine hours a day because yeah. we don't get paid for lunch. Yes. 
and then he took our blades away. Okay. So, uh, again, strictly speaking, not entitled to do that. Uh, no question, because it changes the terms of your employment. The, que- the problem, of course, is, well, what do we do about that? And it's the type of change that probably does not result in a constructive dismissal. So uh, I-, I would be uncomfortable to tell you that there's proper recourse, because what they've done, it's a fairly minor change, not allowed, but may not actually be a lot of recourse. You can try to talk to the Ministry of Labor, because they may not be comp- in compliance with their hours of work requirements uh, as outlined in the Employment Standards Act, but there's still probably not going to be a heck of a lot of recourse here because of the uh, what they've done is not considered major. It's just nasty. You can't do anything about it. They're just yeah, it's mean, know. man. I know. It, it's, it's, you, you need to have a, a major change for you to actually be able to do something about it. James in Toronto. Hi, James. Hi, guys. Lior, um, interesting thing about constructive dismissal. My wife's a, a leader of a small education uh, private education school, about a dozen teachers, after one year, they just opened, they drafted up contracts and offered them to all the teachers that didn't want to go on sort of part-time. One teacher's been with them for eight months, has had two raises from 16 an hour to over 20 an hour, because she's very good. Uh, The contract was given to her. Um, Yes, on Friday, she came back with a lawsuit against the school for constructive dismissal, saying that the contract is forcing her. Uh, she doesn't want to sign the contract, and but she wants to have full-time employment, and um, because it offered her $24 an hour, another $3 raise, and she says she was promised 25 an hour. So for the $1 difference, she's quit, but she said she's being forced and it's constructive dismissal. That doesn't make any sense to us. If, if that's what happened, it makes no sense whatsoever. I agree yeah. with you. That would not be a constructive dismissal. And then, first of all, how, how the heck do you ever prove that there was a, an agreement as to $25 an hour? No. A constructive dismissal happens when the employer changes the terms of unemployment in a very negative way. Now, I haven't read the contract, so I don't know what other changes it may impose on, on her. I mean, all... For all I know, it may change her hours of work and double her workload. I, I don't know. Yeah. But uh, it certainly doesn't, based on what you're saying, it doesn't make sense. Yeah, it's a very fair contract with proper benefits now because after one year, the first year they were allowed to be, you know, just contractors. But, you know, their legal counsel said, no, but you can't employ these people for four or five, six years, three years. You know, you, so they did the proper thing. They've added benefits. They've added, um, they've given raises to the ones that are, you know, decent and the better teachers. And she's been offered the most. And the top of the industry is about 24, 25 bucks an hour. Like, that's it. Yeah. Just, just, the industry doesn't bear 30 or 40. So they're offering her premium dollars. And for the sake of a dollar fifty, when there is no nothing in writing, this is just she's come yeah. out of the air and said, I've been offered more, a dollar fifty, and plus the contract. She doesn't want to sign it, but she wants to still be 36 hours a week plus prep time. And you know, the bottom line is that the constructive dismissal just doesn't apply here, we think. No, I, I tend to agree with you. If it's exactly as you position it, I, I would personally be very comfortable representing that company in that type of a dispute. Uh, I mean, something tells me there may be something more to it than that. But if it is, as you've said, I, I, I agree. I think the company is well in the right here. Well, uh, 416-870-6400 will take uh, a couple more calls here. We have Steve. Sorry, Steve in Toronto. How are you? Uh, very good, thanks. Good, uh, I'll go ahead. Question. Um, want to terminate an employee, uh, worked five years for me, um, not showing up on time, um, late often, um, skips out early sometimes. Uh, what, what's my cost going to be other than severance? Uh, what are my other costs if I give notice with two weeks? Okay, so first of all, he's been with you for five years. What does he do? Secretary. Okay, and approximately how, how old is this person? Uh, 
37. Okay. So so if this was a straight out termination without cost uh, without cause unless he signed a contract that limits his severance entitlements you'd be looking at right around 5 to 6 months of compensation that you or, or 5 to 6 months of notice that you would owe this person. So it's not 2 weeks it's 5 to 6 months of of pay. Now, the, the proper way potentially to deal with this, based on what you've said, that there's been all these problems, performance, attendance, why not document that? Why not create a record to show, here's what you've done, employee, and potentially, if in fact he did do all those bad things, you may be able to terminate employment for cause and not have to pay any compensation. Now, I don't know exactly what he's done. And I don't know what you have to be able to prove what he's done. So maybe we need to talk about that So, so for me to help you create that record. But ultimately, if you're going to just say, yeah, you know what, I'm not going to go there. I'm going to let, let him go uh, without cause. You, you're looking at five to six months of notice or five to six months of severance that you have to pay this person. Does that, does that make sense? Them, if, yeah, it makes sense. If, so if you say someone, listen, I'm not happy with you. You're not performing properly. Uh, you're terminated in six months, but I'll keep you here for yeah. six months. You can do that by law? You can do that by law. Not one, one cautionary note, Steve is uh, if you tell him that, I mean, I'd be concerned if, as to his performance. Is it going to get better? Is it going to get worse over the next six months? Is he going to create problems for you in the workplace? It, so you have to think as to whether you actually want him there for that period of time. Are you going to be worried about, you know, leaving the office and he's running the office alone? You know, is he going to sabotage something mm-hmm. if he's already not a very good employee? So keep that in mind. But legally, yes, you can do that, Steve. Uh, I would encourage you to give me a call because we have to do it in writing and it has to say certain things, and I can certainly help you with that. Steve, that, that number, Steve, 416-216-5900. We'll take one more before the, uh, before the break here. I've got Marco in Thornhill. Hi, Marco. Hi, how are you? Okay, man, go ahead. Good. Uh, yeah, I was wondering uh, when you're getting strong-armed because uh, we're at a private school, and uh, some, we've been there, there's three of us, so I've been there 15 years. One's been there 20, one's been 25, mm-hmm. and they're figuring if they – you know, hire someone else to replace us, uh, they'll pay like half the salary. So I've heard even from an inside source from the office that they're going to try and strong arm us so that we will leave voluntarily rather than them. And we're noticing little like attitude changes that they're trying to make us like want to leave. Is there anything we could do or... So first of all, Marco, obviously, if you do leave voluntarily, unilaterally, then you're not entitled to compensation, whereas if they want to let you go, they can, they have to pay severance. So what you do in a situation where you're being fe- uh, you feel like you're being strong-armed or, or, or pushed yeah. out, you need to document that. You need to send an email. So let's say you have a meeting, someone mistreats you, or someone says, why don't you just get out of here? I would want you to send an email saying, I'm confirming this meeting where you told me that I don't want to be here. That's not something that's acceptable. I want to continue working. There has to be that record because at some point, guess what? If you can document these incidents, you may actually be able to leave and still get your severance because no one should have to take conduct like that. No one should have to work in a poisoned work environment. You know, if it's unacceptable, you may still be able to quit and, and get severance. But you need to be able to show what happened. Your word against theirs may not be good enough. So I want you to document that. And don't record meetings. Unfortunately, that doesn't work. But have an email. Have some written record. Maybe even keep a log, a diary of something where you write down contemporaneously what happens. Uh, And then at some point, either they're going to let you go or you're going to have enough stuff in that log of yours. Right, enough ammo that you can leave and still get severance. We'll take a short break. Lots more of the Employment Hour coming up right here on Talk Radio AM 640 and AM 900 CHML.
Always taking those phone calls. You have questions about anything to do with severance and term, uh, term, uh, temporary layoffs or otherwise. We also cover a lot in this show about uh, disability and things dealing with insurance. And for that end, we also have the uh, the other partner, ST Lawyers, got Savannah to work in here. You're here last week, Savannah. That's right. Uh, had a good week. A lot of questions came through. People have many questions. This is a tough thing for people to deal with disability and dealing with insurance companies. I know you've worked both ends on the insurance side. Now you're on the other side of the uh, the table. And uh, you love these guys. Easy to They love paying out. It's just, it's, a, it's just a festival of payment for people on disability. I know you have trouble, and I know people phone you all the time with, uh, with questions and queries. Want to go through a bunch of those that uh, you went through last week. First of all, tell people exactly what you do at, uh, at the firm. Thanks, John. Uh, so my specialty is uh, personal injury and insurance law. And mm-hmm. you're right. My background is uh, insurance work. So I used to work for insurance companies, which means that I used to defend insurance companies uh, and people who were sued in uh, car accident situations, uh, trip and falls, etc. Uh, and so right now, uh, you know, for the past few years, Leo and I have been working together. He's been taking, um, uh, you know, the employment cases. He's yeah. been work, you know, helping people with uh, with employment matters. Uh, and I've been helping people who have had issues either uh, in a personal injury context, so they've been injured and they're seeking compensation, or uh, who have been on long-term disability. And, uh, you know, even in the last segment, we had the lady that was on long-term disability. Yep. And uh, what what I see a lot in my practice is people who are uh, on long-term disability uh, and, you know, they are at their most vulnerable uh, in that situation. They're injured or uh, they have uh, an ailment of some sort. And, uh, you know, what we see a lot is insurance companies picking on these people, telling them that they just don't have what it takes to prove their disability, cutting them off, denying their disability. And as soon as somebody uh, gets involved, somebody like myself, uh, an insurance lawyer who, uh, who, who knows how the game is played from the insurance side, uh, you know, then we level the playing field. Big At that time. point, uh, you know, we know how to frame the claim. We know what information we need to get, what documents we need to get. And, uh, you know, w- w- within a fairly short time span, we're able to get the compensation that people deserve. Okay, we talked about some of this last week, and you got a flood of questions right. come through over this past week. Let's, uh, let's get to some of those nets in the monitor. Right, so let me give you an, uh, an idea of an email that I got right after the show last week. Uh, this came from Carl, uh, and uh, Carl said that he was on long-term disability, mm-hmm. but he recently got injured in a car accident. And so his concern was, uh, you know, the car accident wasn't my fault. Uh, you know, I had an issue before. I've been on disability for a few years. Uh, and, and the disability insurance company was paying out, you know, but now I have completely different injuries. Uh, on top of the previous. On top of oh, everything right. he had. So this guy is not lucky. That's right. Uh, you know, so he had a lot of uh, a lot of questions about well, what can I do? I'm getting disability payments. Uh, can I get anything in terms of compensation for my pain and suffering mm-hmm. uh, because of this car accident that completely changed my life? I mean, you know, if what he had before wasn't enough, now he's really uh, in a bad state. And so I said to him, look, long-term disability is there to help you with your income. You know, the idea is that you can't work, and so you're getting a substitution of income from your long-term disability insurance company. Uh, Now, when you're injured in a car accident, if your injuries are serious enough, and keep in mind, this guy was already injured, so he was more vulnerable, right? Uh, So in in his case, um, he would be entitled to potentially from the insurance company of the person who hit him okay. Okay, in the car uh, for pain and suffering, damages. He'd be entitled to have some um, uh, 
help in terms of housekeeping, uh, household expenses. Uh, perhaps he needs some medical and rehabilitation uh, treatments, you know, chiropractic, massage, anything like that, perhaps before he didn't need, but now he does. This is on top of on what he's already of getting. Exactly, okay. exactly. So these are benefits that, you know, he otherwise would not necessarily need, but now he does because of the car accident. And again, his concern was, well, I'm already getting something from the LTD insurance company. Right. What do I do here? And I told him, listen, you can definitely get uh, compensation for a variety of things that now you need because of this car accident. Uh, and, uh, you know, we, we chat about it and we're going to start a claim probably. So it's going to be two different pay. It's going to be two different payees right. in this case, it's right? Compl- so, yeah, okay. You're right, exactly. Two different yeah. things. So one does not exclude the other, and that's right. very important for people to understand because they think that because they're already in disability, they're not entitled to anything in the event that they're injured. They think they're double dipping, right? But yeah. they're not double dipping. Exactly, exactly. Right? Yep. exactly. You got it. Four one six eight seven zero sixty four hundred star six forty on cell. You have questions about disability insurance, some problems. Uh, Savannah's here uh, on the show. Give me another one that you got last okay, week. Okay, I'll give you another one. This is actually quite interesting. Uh, this is a, a person uh, who had emailed me um, halfway through this week. And that person, uh, his name is Robert. He says, listen, I've been suffering from fibromyalgia and chronic pain. Uh, Now, the problem with fibromyalgia for a lot of people who are facing that is that, uh, especially when you're dealing with insurance companies, they question that condition. Uh, They, a lot of them don't believe that it even exists. They think it's all in the mind. Uh, And, and, you know, frankly, uh, you get a lot of pushback from insurance companies, whether it's through long-term disability or car insurance company, who simply say, listen, there's nothing objective about your condition. We can't see it on an x-ray. We can't see it on an ultrasound. Uh, Therefore, we just don't believe you. Therefore, we're not going to pay. And we see that often, it's very common. And so uh, what happens is that people who are already down, who are already feeling uh, victims of this condition, are now being victimized by the insurance company who says, we're not going to believe you, we're going to cut you off, we're going to deny a claim. And that's extremely easy to resolve. And the way we resolve it is as soon as we get involved and we contact the person's um, doctor, whether it's the family doctor or the specialist, uh, we have to ask the right questions and we have to make sure that the doctors uh, provide the right answers. And as soon as they provide the right answers, and keep in mind, the way that we ask the questions and the way we interact with the doctors allows the doctors to provide the answers that we need in order to provide that to the insurance companies uh, in the manner in which they understand. Right. And so once you frame those answers and that information to the insurance companies in the way they understand, trust me, there's going to be a payout. Yeah. They're going to recognize that condition whether they want it or not. Because at the end of the day, unless you are lying, and presumably a lot of the people who are complaining of this condition are not, because why would they? Right. Uh, unless unless you know, there's something that, that doesn't make any sense here, uh, if the doctors support the condition, there's going to be a payout. The insurance company is going to have to come to the table and the insurance company is going to have to pay what the person is owed. It's not difficult. It's not expensive. It's not. Love it. Uh, it and it doesn't take a long time. We'll take a short break. Lots more of the Employment Hour coming up on Talk Radio AM 640 and AM 900 CHML. We'll take a few calls to take us uh, probably to the top. Uh, first, Joe and Acton. Hi, Joe. How are you? Uh, good. How are you today? Okay, go ahead. you got a question for, uh, for Leor. He's here. Yes, I don't know if that applies exactly to what you guys are talking about, but I had a um, uh, labor dispute a few years ago with an employer. Um, I took, I went to Employment Standards, and we ended up with a determination that the employer does owe me funds uh, with a Supreme Court order for him to pay. Um, now, I was living in British Columbia at the time, and they said, uh, at the end of the day, they said because the employer was residing in, Win- in Winnipeg, it made the case difficult, and after uh, a few efforts on their part, they sort of told me that there wasn't a lot they could do about it. 
Um, now this year I decided to re re uh, to look back into it. I called them up and asked them to take another look at it, and they're kind of giving me the same song and dance. I'm wondering if I have any legal recourse with a private attorney or bailiff, or I really don't know where to go with this. Yeah, what we would have to do is uh, we would have to get a court order uh, for those funds, and that could be then once you have that court order formalized by a court order, we can get uh, uh, a bailiff or sheriff to enforce that. Uh, but they ha- So an order from the Ministry of Labor may not be enough. We have to formalize that in an order. There's a cost involved and there's a procedure involved, so depending on the amount, uh, it may be or may not be worth it. If, the, if it's $250, it may not be worth right. it. If it's uh, $5,000, it may well be worth it. So do give me a call. I can happy to talk to you. I do have a lawyer in my firm that uh, often works with enforcing judgments, so we can uh, we can look at that for you. Joe, that number, 416-216-5900. Bruce in the 400. Hi, Bruce. Hello there. How are you, man? Go ahead. I'm, I'm good. Uh, I have a question about vacation pay. I'm just wondering if uh, I have a full-time employee who gets four or more paid vacation weeks a year, are they still entitled to vacation pay on top of that? Sorry, you get four or more what exactly? You get you get week four weeks paid vacation. I see. Yes, no, so so I understand. No, he's not entitled to, to anything above that. So the four weeks is pay, paid vacation, is his vacation, nothing on top of that, no. Okay. All right, what if, sorry, go ahead, Bruce. Yeah, I was just, I was just wondering because I've been asked to pay vacation pay, and I said I thought the rules were if you have enough weeks already paid vacation, you're not entitled to vacation pay yeah. on top of it. There's a difference between vacation pay and vacation time. So if he's taking four weeks of vacation time, but during that time he's getting paid vacation pay, then that would more than comply with any legal obligation, unless, of course, he had signed a contract of employment that says, well, you get six weeks vacation and he only took four, then he still may be owed two more weeks of pay. Uh, but otherwise, if he hadn't done that, then uh, that's, that would be everything, and certainly that's even more than he's required to get paid under the employment standards. So if he's taking his four weeks that he gets, he, that's what he gets. That's how he gets. Yeah. Yeah. That's it, buddy. Kitten caboodle. Uh, Ken, final call this hour in Scarborough. Hi. Uh, yes, uh, good afternoon. Uh, I, my situation is, or my wife uh, started a new job, left one job, and went to a new, a new employer six days into, into the new job for no reason. They told her it's not working out, uh, you know, that's it, go home, no severance, nothing. Mm-hmm. She got a case. couple questions. So did she, was she recruited from another job? Uh, yes, she was. Okay. And when she started with this new company, uh, did she sign an employment agreement or contract uh, with this company? Yes, she did. Okay. Uh, the question will becomes, and this is really one question, is whether that agreement that she signed when she started working, whether that had the effect of allowing them a period of time, maybe a three-month period, to let her go without compensation. If it did, unfortunately, she agreed to allow them to do that. If the contract does not give them a period of time to let her go without compensation, then she may be entitled to significant severance, even though she only worked there for six days because of the fact that she was recruited away. So this all comes down to what the contract actually says. It also comes down to when the contract was signed. So here's what I propose, Ken. I'd like very much to talk to you or, or your wife. Uh, yep. And I'd like to see this contract. So give me a call after our, after the show. I'll ask you to send me a copy of the contract, fax, me, fax it or email it to me. I'll review it. And on okay. that basis, I'm going to tell you exactly, number one, what is she owed? And number two, how do we get it? Okay. All, All right. right. We'll, we'll do. Can that number, 416-216-5900. Just before we uh, go off here in a minute, I want to tell, uh, or at least you tell everybody about... Uh, 
terminationquestions.com. We'll, we'll hit this up in the second hour, but this is a good way, a good conduit for people to get questions to you. Yeah? Yes. Yeah, you know, my whole motto is giving people access to information. Mm-hmm. I, I believe that people have a right to know uh, what their workplace rights are. And that's why I do the show. That's why I created the severance calculator uh, that's available there. And what I've done, again, to make it easy for people, get this information. Don't be shy. Don't be afraid. I created a new website, terminationquestions.com. Love it. Uh, so it's, it's there. It's free completely, 100%. It's anonymous. You can uh, write there and ask any question that you want pertaining to employment, termination, etc. And myself or one of the lawyers that works for me is going to respond to you within minutes right there online with an answer to your question. You can ask follow-up questions if you want. Uh, no problem. Uh, completely anonymous. Your name is not posted anywhere. So please do, do the, uh, go there, terminationquestions.com. The other thing you can see on the website, John, is the history of the questions and answers. So your answer may be there. You can, you can search through the topics that interest you or if you wanted to know something about a particular topic. Mm-hmm. It's a really, really neat tool. It gives people access to information. We launched it last Sunday right here on the show. You bet. And we've got so many questions uh, since then, uh, several questions every single day. I've been answering them nonstop, round the clock. Uh, terminationquestions.com. It's a great tool. It gives people access to information. In the Employment Hour on Talk Radio, AM 640 and AM 900 CHML. Lior at employmenthour.com. And anytime outside of show hours you want to get a hold of Lior, people often do. It's 416-216-5900. Uh, I want to get into a different topic here this hour. In fact, uh, Savannah, your partner, will probably chime in sometime this hour as well. Uh, returning to work after medical absence or disability. How long, let's start with that, how long can an employee be off uh, on a medical issue? And first of all, uh, John, this is a, this is a topic that uh, I, I get a lot of calls about. People are in medical leaves off often and you know it's uh, work can be stressful these days so oftentimes it's not even necessarily because uh, they have a you know a bad back or a bad knee or, or some other uh, serious condition it could be because of work stress or, or, or depression arising from work we see that all the time so the question always becomes well how long can I be off, off work as you just asked there's really no time limit as to how long you can be off work you can be off work as long as a doctor says you need to be off work. It's not, and whenever I get a call, well, you're telling me how long can I be off work when I have to go back? I can't answer that. I'm not a doctor. You can't answer right. that. You're not a doctor. The, that question should be posed to a doctor. If a doctor says you can go back after a week, well, there's your answer. If he says it's going to be a year, well, then it's a year. Uh, and you have a right to maintain a working relationship, uh, an employment type of a relationship, even if you're on a leave uh, for a long, long time, usually for years, as long as a doctor says you have to be off. So that's the key. Uh, when you are, you're sick, you can't work. You have to get that doctor's note. You have to get that doctor's report that says you can't work. And if that uh, means you're going to be off work for a while, that's fine. Legally, you're entitled to do that uh, as long as the doctor backs you up. 416-870-6400, star 640 on cell. Questions about this topic or anything under the employment umbrella. Uh, we keep answering those this hour uh, as well. So... Um other side, when can an employee go back to work? Well, exactly. Same thing qualifies? Same thing qualifies. You return to work when the doctor uh, clears you. Now, there's two components. Number one, you have to be cleared uh, to return to work. And number two, you have to be cleared to return to work with limitations that can be accommodated. So, in fact, you can return to work, but you can only return to work uh, to your job as a driver if you don't sit down 
well, that may be a problem because you're a driver, you have to sit. You need a segue. Right, right. <laughs> well, you know, maybe the employer can accommodate in that situation. Uh, but, but for the most part, again, it, it is up to the doctor. When the doctor clears you to return to work, then that's when you provide the doctor's note to the, to the employer and work out a return to work type of an uh, arrangement. And this qualifies for uh, possible modified duties as well? Right. So modified duties are uh, some things that an employee is entitled to have if they are still not able to fully go back to their job the way the job was. They need some changes to be made to their job in order to, uh, for them to work within their limitation, to work within their, uh, their restrictions. And again, what, what are those uh, modified duties? I don't know. Mm-hmm. And you don't know. And then because the only one that can say what those are is a doctor. Some people may be very limited. Uh, some people may have extre- extreme uh, limitations that they need. And it's up to the doctor to decide whether it's a family doctor or a specialist to outline exactly what type of limitations. And that's when the employer's duty to accommodate is triggered. Okay. So I've been off for a week or I've been off for a, a year and a week. I'm ready to go back. Uh, what do I have to do? Okay. The first thing you need to do is you got to get that clearance from the doctor uh, and then provide it to the employer. And the employer is going to want to know, uh, number one, can you return to work when and on what basis, full-time, part-time, uh, full duties, modified duties, or, or anything in between. So, And then once you've provided that to the employer, the employer may need some time, uh, not a lot, but usually a bit of time to figure out what they have available and when they can bring you back. That's especially true if you've been off for a while. If you've been off for a week, shouldn't be a problem bringing you right back into the fold. But if you've been out for a year uh, and a week, well, that employer may say, okay, I was running my business without you. Now I have to reintegrate you into the business. I need some time to figure out exactly where you fit in. Uh, and, and that's when usually we're, you're going to have a discussion with the employer to make sure that the employer uh, has the ability or has the, their needs met and that your limitations, your restrictions are being accommodated at the same time. 416-870-6400, star 640 on. So I want to take a break. We'll take a break first. Get to some phone calls. You want to give us a call and lots more of this topic. The Employment Hour on Talk Radio, AM 640 and AM 900 CHML. Leor at employmenthour.com. You want to email? We'll go to the phones as always. Our top priority, Mike in Hamilton. Hi, Mike. Hi, how are you? Good. Go ahead. Uh, yeah, I just got a question. Um, it's actually it's a compensation question. I don't know. If the, does he uh, answer those kind of questions? We have uh, we have a full suit of uh, folks here who can answer that. Oh, okay, Savon as well. Perfect. Um, I had a. I got into a, a little bit of trouble with a company about ten years ago. I injured my back. And uh, the company was found uh, liable for that because they uh, didn't maintain their equipment properly. So compensation uh, allowed the claim in that. <clears throat> then six months later, they laid me off. So I sued them in civil court, which I won, uh, because they I sued them for wrongful dismissal. Yeah. So then I found employment elsewhere, and uh, my back started to hurt again. Uh, compensation, the first thing they asked me was, is, is it a new injury or is it an old injury? Well, I said, well, I don't know. I said, my back just started to hurt me again. So I want to know how and who determines if it's a new injury or if it's from a previous injury. Uh, and it's a, it's a good question. And uh, usually it's uh, the, the only one that can determine that is a medical expert, uh, okay. whether it's your doctor or the insurance company's doctor or, or sorry, WSIB's doctor. They're going to have to determine whether this is tied to your previous injury for which you've been paid or this is something that arose now. Uh, and again, really every situation is different. It's not a legal question so much as a medical one. Mm-hmm. So uh, I, I suggest that you, you work with your doctor. And you, by the way, the one thing you can do is talk to your doctor. If your doctor feels 
that this is an injury that is not related, it's a brand new type of a situation, have them write a report for you that you can then show WSIB, and that may help you right there resolve it. Uh, but ultimately, a doctor has to make that determination. If it is based on an old injury, would that make a difference with the new company? You don't know, right? Yes. Well, uh, if, if it does, then at that point, it's, uh, it's an injury for which he was compensated already. So right. you may not actually have recourse from workers' compensation. And we're talking about returning to work after medical absence or disability here. And uh, need some accommodation. What, what kind of levels of accommodation are there? If you're not 100% to go back to do the job, say a very physical job, forklift operator, lifting 50 pounds, all that stuff. Well, first of all, there's all kinds of accommodations that an employee may be entitled to get. Uh, some may have to do with just with hours. Mm. So I can do the job, but I, can, I can't do it full time. I can't do the job for eight hours. But tell you what, if I, if I could work two hours a day, then I could do that. And sometimes an employee comes back on modified hours or on a gradual return basis. Or, you know, in the first week, you're going to work uh, 10 hours a week. And then the second week, 15. And it's gradually going to increase until you work 40 hours. So that's one type of accom- an accommodation right. that an employee may need. Second type may, is, is modified duties. So I, I can't do all components of the job. I can only do some of them. So the employer is going to have to find a way to allow the employee to, to do the job within their accommodation, uh, within their restrictions, which may mean either taking away some of the aspects of the job and, or having someone help the employee or giving them a completely different job for a period of time that meets their restrictions. Uh, there's all kinds of accommodations that we may see. We may see people that have to uh, be allowed to work from home a couple of days a week because, uh, because of their condition. Or someone that may need some, some changes made to their workstation, uh, an ergonomic uh, keyboard or some kind. Or chair. Or chair, or exactly, like. that allows them to, to work because they have a bad back or, or, or carpal tunnel syndrome or whatever it is. So there's all kinds of accommodations. But again, the, the genesis of that has to come all the way from a doctor. The doctor has to be the one making that decision. And the employer has to accommodate. And that duty to accommodate, John, is, is a very strict one. We, we refer to it as a duty to accommodate to the point of undue hardship. What that means is the employer has to accommodate even if it's difficult. They can't say, well, you know what, that's kind of hard. It's going to cost a bit of money. No, we're not going to do it. They have to accommodate up to the point that it becomes completely unreasonable. Certainly, they don't have to, to, to uh, open up a new facility to accommodate an employee. I mean, that would be undue hardship. But usually it is a fairly high standard that the employer has to meet before it can say, no, that's too much. Okay, said that. What if the employer says, A, uh, either A, I'm not taking the employee back, or B, not going to accommodate? Well, uh, number one is if the employer legitimately cannot accommodate, okay, there's just no possibility that the type of changes uh, that the employee needs or the types of restrictions that the employee has are unreasonable, at that point the employer has not done anything wrong. Uh, but if the employer won't take the employee back or won't accommodate uh, when it should accommodate, two things happen. Number one, it's a human rights issue because the employer does have a right to uh, an obligation to accommodate the employee, uh, and it's not their call. They don't make that decision. That that obligation is imposed on them. So the employee may have a, a rights to compensation for violations of the human rights code. The second thing that happens is by failure to accommodate, that could be considered a termination. Uh, once the employer won't do what it's supposed to do to allow the employee to come back to work, that's a termination. So because it's a termination, that employee may be entitled to severance as well. Uh, and, and that's something I was talking about in the first hour when the employer would not take the employee back to their job, even though they could do the job after they came back from a disability. And even though that employer never flat out sent a termination letter saying you're gone, 
by failure to take the employee back, that was as if they had terminated the employee's employment. Could the person's level of disability upon turning to work, if the employer does not want to take them, would that make a difference in the level of compensation? Yes, uh, okay. it, it, it would certainly because then that may mean, first of all, if the employee is still sick, if the employee still uh, has to uh, have medical conditions, that may mean it's going to take them longer to find another job. So they may be entitled to even more compensation in that situation because they're not uh, at 100%. Okay, we'll take uh, one phone call before the break. Got Frank. Hi, Frank. How are you? I'm good, thank you. Okay, go ahead. Uh, my wife works at the retail store, and uh, she finished work one night at 4 o'clock, and then she was leaving the store, and uh, she slipped on something, uh, something on the floor that was left there. Uh, one of the products was spilled or something. Anyway, she slipped and fell and uh, hurt herself, and, you know, they said it was not compensation because it was after her work, and she was now going to be treated as a customer, and... And uh, now that's been a month ago, and nothing's happened. And uh, she starts to have pains, but she's going back to work. And people say, if you want to sue your employer, it's a big problem. I, I don't know what to do. So, okay. for, so I'm going to get Savannah to chime in here in, in a second. If WSIB has determined that this is not a WSIB issue because it wasn't really work-related, it was after work or it wasn't during work hours, then yes, there may be recourse there is against uh, the employer for, for compensation. I'm going to turn it over to Sivan here and, and have him uh, chime in on that. Hi, Frank. This is Sivan here. Uh, and, uh, you know, in my practice, I deal a lot in these kinds of situations where people slip and fall, um, you know, as, 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 as a result of uh, uh, products spilled in stores and things like that. Mm-hmm. Now, um, I just want to get some more information. WSB had determined that uh, it's not a WSB matter because it happened after hours, correct? No, the employer's manager at the time said it was after work hours, so she was not liable for the workman's compensation. Okay, so no application to WSB has been made then? No, they didn't, uh, they didn't do anything. Nothing's happened. Okay. In these kind of situations, uh, it's, it's a good idea to make an application to WSIB because whether or not it happened during work hours or not, first of all, that's something that WSIB is going to determine. Uh, and the fact that it happened after work, there's usually a period of time after and before work uh, where if a person is injured on the work premises, that may still be encompassed under the WSIB um, uh, framework, shall we say. And it's not up to the manager uh, or the owner of the company uh, to make a determination on that front. Now, keep in mind, from their standpoint, they would rather not have a WSB application because anytime there is a claim for WSB in relation to their operation, mm-hmm. uh, it's going to mean that their premiums are probably going to go up. So what I usually tell people in these kinds of situations is, listen, if the, um, if the target here or if whoever is responsible for the injury is not the employer, then there is something that we can do about it. We can, I can help you with that. But if it, happened, if it happened on work premises, and certainly if it happened right after a shift, as an example, uh, that's something that WSB would have to handle and at the very least make a decision and give you a decision on. So we should definitely call WSB and get a plan. Absolutely. Like yeah. bare minimum, right? You guys are the dynamic duo. All questions answered. I love this show. We'll take a a short break. Employment Hour continues on Talk Radio AM 640 and AM 900 CHML. We'll get to uh, one more question for you from the uh, medical absence and disability. Uh, What should employers do if they have an employee on disability leave and they want to know when they're coming back? And that's always a struggle for an employer because you have an employee that's been off for a while uh, and then you want to know, well, what do I do? Do I move on? Do I I make changes or... 
if I do, what's going to happen if that employee comes knocking on the door and says, I want to come back to work? And the employer needs to know how to manage their own affairs. Yep. And, and, and it's very difficult. And, you know, you don't want to bother an employee that's on a disability. So what does an employer do? Well, the employer has to get that information. It's perfectly fine. It's perfectly, uh, perfectly acceptable to contact an employee and ask for an updated uh, uh, diagnosis or, sorry, updated prognosis from their uh, doctor. So an employee, employer doesn't necessarily have a right to know what the condition is, but the employer does have a right to know what the prognosis is, when the employee can come back to work, uh, and, and what's going to be happening. Are they going to be evaluated in a month, in two months, in six months? Uh, and and uh, also, if the employee is entitled to come back to work, so the employee says, I can come back to work. Here's a doctor's note that says that. If there's any questions, you're entitled to ask more uh, questions to find out, are there limitations? What are the limitations? Can you work full-time hours? Uh, can you work uh, uh, your full job? Is there anything we need to change? And you want to know that for liability reasons as well. You don't want to allow an employee to come back to work when they're not fully able to come back to work. If something happens uh, to you, to a customer, to, to the employee, uh, the employer may be liable for that. So ask the questions. The employee has to cooperate. The employee has the primary responsibility to be cooperating when there's a duty to accommodate. So don't just let the employee kind of linger out there in no man's land, mm-hmm. get, get information. Mike, you have a question for Lior. Go ahead. Yes, hi. My wife works at Sunnybrook, and uh, she doesn't even know that I'm calling. And the, the thing, she has a, a liver condition, basically, that uh, doesn't allow her to work uh, properly. But she's very tired. It makes her very tired. Now, she has to cut down on the hours. The thing is, if she cuts down on the hours, can she get benefits? Can she still qualify for benefits, even if she's working part-time? Now, is she part of a union? Yes. Okay. So the answer to that question is, is in the collective agreement. Uh, a collective agreement would stipulate when you get benefits and, and whether part-time employees get benefits or not. Uh, so the employer is going to have to comply with the collective agreement. There's no obligations other than what's in there. So that's a question, Mike, that you or your wife should pose to the union and discuss that with the union. And any decision as to what your wife is going to do in terms of hours is going to have to be one that you make one with your doctor and two together with a union. You know, we love getting the questions on the air, number one, at the phone number, but there's also two different ways. TerminationQuestions.com. You can answer questions and also Lior at EmploymentHour.com. Just got this one come through your email. Uh, Richard in Etobicoke says, I've been employed for the last three years through an agency. The agency uh, is the one that pays me. They just told me that there is no more work for me, but did not say anything about severance. Is he entitled to anything and who pays it? Yeah, you know, very good question. Actually, common question, believe it or not, when uh, someone's employed, works for a company, but they're employed through an agency. And then all of a sudden they don't have a job, who pays them? Well, the law says in many cases you can have more than one employer. You can have the agency be your employer. You can have the actual company where you work for be your employer. Bottom line is you're entitled to severance. It doesn't matter if you're employed uh, employed through an agency. Mm -hmm. So whether or not it's the agency or the actual company or both, you have to get severance. Uh, In most cases, in these situations, if you work for a period of time for a company but are hired through the agency, it's the actual company that you work for that's on the hook. Because you work there at their office, report to them, they tell you what to do, you work for their benefits with their, their people and their staff, the law will consider you to be their employee. Your only connection through the agency is maybe your check comes from them. So you probably don't have much of a legal connection to the agency, even though uh, you think you might. So yes, you are entitled to full severance, the same as every other employee is even if you're hired through an agency. Uh, and again, that's based on your age, length of employment, and position. 
Any questions, any doubts, you give me a call. James, obviously catching the show today, heard us talking about medical absence and disability, says just got started back at work last week on modified duties. And after being on disability for a few months at the end of the week, the company has let me go. They gave me no reason. They offered my 52 weeks pay after 23 years of employment. He's a production manager, 62. What are his rights? First of all, is that okay? Well, it may well not be okay. It may actually be a human rights issue there because if he's coming back to work on modified duties and then they let him go, well, what's changed? Why did they let him go? At that point, we actually have to look at the reason. Because if they let him go because he's on modified duties, and you know what? They say, we don't want to modify. It's, it's, it's too much of a hassle. Let's just let the employee go. That's illegal. That's a violation of the human rights code, unacceptable, and, and the mm-hmm. law deals with that quite harshly. So, uh, so that's the question number one. On the other hand, potentially, John, maybe it's legitimate. Maybe the department closed down and he's one of 25 people being let go. Fine. So once we get past that hurdle... The question becomes, how much severance is he owed? Now, after 23 years, and and, and, and I think he said 62 as a production manager, yeah, he'd be looking right around 24 months' pay. So 52 weeks, I think, if it's a year's pay, that's 50 cents on the dollar. That's completely inadequate. So regardless of the reason, even if the company had the right to let him go, this is a wrongful dismissal because he has not received proper severance. He needs to give me a call. We, We have a lot to discuss. LeorenEmploymentHour.com is also another way to get an email through like we were just reading. Take a short break. Lots more of the show on the way. This is the Employment Hour on Talk Radio AM 640 and AM 900 CHML. If you also have questions about disability insurance, you're off uh, for a while. You're thinking about coming back to work. You're not sure what steps to take. We can answer those as well. we got uh, Savannah to work in here as well, the other partner in your, uh, your law firm. And to get a hold of Savannah anytime, by the way, 416-216-5910 would be the uh, the number. Um, let's talk more about some of the questions you get. Now, you, you were here last week, and a flood of questions came through. People, A lot of people off on, on disability and wondering what to do. It's, uh, it's, you know, it can be a scary thing, but for a guy like yourself, you kind of walk them through it and get them what they deserve. You've uh, worked on both sides of the table with insurance. Now you're with the, uh, the law firm. So uh, go through some more of the questions you got from last week. Sure, absolutely. Thanks, John. So one of the questions that we get often is uh, people who are on disability, long-term disability, who've been on disability for a couple of years, uh, and then one day they get a letter from their insurance company says, uh, you've been on disability now for two years and the test, uh, the, the uh, criteria has now changed. For you to continue getting disability, long-term disability, you have to now uh, prove something else, something you haven't uh, had to prove up until now. So generally speaking, within the first two years, all you have to show with medical proof, medical mm-hmm. documentation, is that you can't do your job. Okay, this is called the your own occupation test. Can you do your own occupation uh, and, and, you know, generally speaking, people are able to provide uh, sufficient medical um, documents uh, and information to show that they can't do that. But what happens after the two-year mark? Where uh, So on the two-year mark, mm-hmm. you have to show that uh, not only can you not do your job, but you can't do any job for which you're reasonably suited by education, training, or experience. So now the scope is much broader. Now you have to show that you can't essentially do almost anything else. Does that kind of go back to what modified duties we were talking about with, with Lior before? Uh, well, uh, yes, essentially, okay. uh, but it's expanded even more than that. You have oh. to actually show that not only can you not do your job even with modified duties, but that you can't do any other job uh, for which uh, you know, you're, you're reasonably uh, uh, trained uh, through your training, through your education, through experience. So that means that you know, if you could do uh, your job with modification, obviously you wouldn't qualify. But even if you could do something that's somewhat similar, uh, you still would not be able to qualify for this. And the problem is that for most people, the documents they have on file, uh, what their doctor has, uh, has uh, provided to them, 
allows them to qualify only for the first two years. And when it comes to the second uh, part of the equation, so beyond the two years, you have to show more than that. You have to get, again, more reports from your family doctor, perhaps even a specialist that says, uh, you know, this individual can't just do their own job, but they can do more than that. It's not difficult to do. A lot of times it takes uh, us writing a letter to the specialist or to the family doctor uh, and, again, posing the right questions to those doctors, getting the right answers, presenting those to the insurance company, and then getting beyond that. So if people are faced with that kind of a letter, with that kind of a denial or a threat that their benefits are going to be cut, they should not worry about it. It's not difficult. Just give us a call. We can help you out. In your experience, how often is that definite? Every insurance company does that after two years or only the ones that are not so nice? Or it just happens all the time? It it happens all the time. The test may be a bit different depending on the provisions of the insurance policy. Uh, Just like, you know, when Lior speaks about uh, uh, contracts of employment, you can have some variations. But generally speaking, after the two-year mark, you're going to be faced with that kind of uh, of an analysis of can you do anything else uh, other than your job, even with with modifications. If you have questions for Savan, we'll take those as well. Give me something else. What else came through last week? Well, uh, another thing that came through, which is actually quite interesting, and that, that doesn't have anything to do with, uh, with uh, long-term disability. It has to do with car accidents. Uh, and, and again, the reason I'm bringing it up is because most of the people who come to me who've been injured in a car accident have difficulty with work, which is where Lior comes in. Uh, so in a case of a car accident, uh, one of the things uh, that uh, you know most people don't know is that they've been in a car accident, and unfortunately in, in a certain situations, uh, the people who are at fault for the accident have fled the scene. You can't find them. The police can't find them. And so the person is then stuck. The person then thinks, okay, I've been injured. I have difficulty working. I need help around the home. I need treatments, benefits. What do I do? Well, there there are a few things that people should know. Number one, even if when you've been in an accident, the person has fled away or you can't find whoever was at fault, uh, you can get benefits from your insurance company. That's, that's the first thing that you should know. You can always get benefits from your insurance company. And those include income replacement, so to help you with your... Uh, uh, you know, with a shortfall of income if you can't work or if you can only work a little bit as opposed to uh, the full-time position you had before. Uh, and the second thing that people should know is that uh, in the event that you may have a claim, uh, a larger claim for compensation for pain and suffering, uh, you can uh, claim against your insurance company for that part of the claim as well. In other words, it's a safety net that's built into the automobile system that uh, in a situation where someone is at fault, you don't know who that is. Maybe you lost consciousness. Maybe uh, right. the person has fled for whatever reason. Uh, your insurance company is there. Uh, unfortunately, most people just don't even think about that. They just focus on, on their injuries, which they should. Uh, you know, but then they're left in a situation where uh, you know, they don't know what to do. Uh, they don't know what to do with respect to benefits, with respect to compensation. And we help them through that. It's really not difficult. Would people not be scared that it's going to affect their their uh, their rates adversely if they claim that part of it? Or does it all bounce back to the person who they eventually find who is guilty for all this? Well, if, if you find them, it may bounce back. And, yeah. and there are uh, regulations that deal with that. Uh, you know, to be honest with you, if it's not your fault, it should not be affecting your premiums. Okay. It's that simple. Okay. And if it does, you go to your broker. If you have an insurance broker, if not, you go to the insurance company. But generally speaking, if it's not your fault, it shouldn't affect the rates. Okay. So first thing I have to do, this is coming from you being a lawyer. I mean, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not unconscious. I'm conscious, but I've been injured. The accident just happened. I'm on the road. What is the first thing I should be doing? Uh, if you're injured, you call the police immediately. Right. If if you're injured, but it's not very bad, you know, people can walk around, the, the uh, damages are not that uh, significant, and you go to a self-reporting collision center. Toronto has two of those. Uh, every jurisdiction has those. 
And I'll tell you, after the accident is reported, uh, again, if the injuries are not significant, uh, then uh, you go and get checked out. Okay. If, if, however, the injuries are significant, if you can't get out of the car, if uh, you think somebody else is injured, you immediately call 911. There is no question about that. And uh, you follow up with your doctors, you go to the hospital, whatever you need to do. Well, uh, before I take a break, I'll ask you anything else that people should know right off the top that you've received this last week that they may not be aware of. Uh, you know, just that if you have an issue with the insurance company, and it doesn't matter if it's if, it, if it's a, if it's an issue to do with uh, with uh, uh, personal injury, if it has to do with uh, disability, any issues with with insurance companies, they're usually not difficult to resolve. Everything is governed by the law. Insurance companies oftentimes uh, seem like they're big bullies, but you know, at the end of the day, if you go to an insurance lawyer, somebody who's dealt with it, specifically somebody who's dealt with it from both ends. Uh, these things are not difficult. You know, we always give information out to people. Uh, it doesn't cost anything to talk. And, uh, you know, j- just just give me a call. And we're getting to that season, right? Of slip and oh, falls absolutely. and car accidents, right? Tons, tons Winter's around the corner, baby. 100%. Yep. The number is 416-216-5910 to get old of Savan. We'll take a short break. Lots more of the Employment Hour coming up. Hang on, Bo. Kevin, we'll get to you. And uh, we'll take a short break and be back with more. AM 640 and uh, AM 900 CHML. And uh, Bo's been hanging on. Bo, we got you. How are you? Hi, good. How are you? This good, time? man. Go ahead. You got a question for uh, Lior? Yes. Um, if a person is on short-term disability, do they, does companies still require them to pay vacation pay for that period? Uh, you're asking if the employer is still required to pay vacation pay while the employee is on disability? Yes. Uh, the answer is no, simply because the employee is not earning uh, any income from the employer uh, vacation pay is something that's calculated as a percentage of income that the employee earns. So if the employee is not earning income, the employee may, getting, may be getting paid disability benefits, but they're not getting any income. So, no, they're not entitled to, their, uh, to, to any vacation pay. That said, if you go on disability, you may be entitled to get your accrued vacation pay owing up until that date, hmm. but you don't continue earning vacation pay while you're on disability. Even though the employer uh, was on record as uh, paying the short-term disability benefits? So, yes, even if the employer is effectively self-insured and the employer is paying it themselves, they still don't have to pay that because uh, that's not compensation for work. It's, it's, it's different. It's really an insurance that the employer itself is administering. So, no, no vacation pays out. Let me ask you this. Being fired without knowing it, other than the keynote, working when you go to work the next morning. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, right. We talked about temporary layoffs. How about change, uh, change to terms of employment? Yeah, there's a number of ways, John, that uh, you actually could be considered terminated uh, when, uh, without actually getting a termination letter, without mm-hmm. the employer saying, guess what, John, you're gone. Uh, obviously, if your employer terminates you and take you into a meeting and they say today's your last day, you're going to know you've been terminated. You're going to know that at that point you have to get severance. You're going to know to call me. Uh, but there are situations, one of them you just mentioned, the temporary layoff. As I said on, at the top of the show, a temporary layoff is not legal. A temporary layoff is a termination. So if you've been laid off temporarily, you're entitled to severance. It's as if the employer says you're gone. Uh, there's some exceptions which we've talked about. You mentioned then uh, change, uh, changes to terms of employment, right. what we refer to as a constructive dismissal. So you could be terminated simply by virtue of the fact that the employer made some significant changes to the terms of your employment. They relocated you, they reduced your pay, uh, they uh, demoted you. Any negative change that's significant that you did not agree to uh, or that the employer does not have a right to make by a contract is a termination, is a constructive dismissal. It's as if the employer had just said, uh, I'm terminating your employment. So if you're in that situation, there's a change to the terms of your employment. You have a choice, of course, 
and that choice is you can accept that change and, and then that becomes now the terms of your employment. Or you can say, no, I'm going to treat that as a termination and make the employer pay me severance. And the severance would be the same based on whether it's a normal termination. Yes. For all these things we're going to talk about now, which is the being terminated without knowing you're being terminated, uh, then yes, severance is the same and it's calculated based on your age, length of employment, and the type of job that you have. In your practice, say uh, out of maybe 50 cases where that's exactly what's happened, they tried to change the terms of employment, an employee says, you know what, I've listened to uh, the employment hour, I know that's a... uh, termination. Um, I want compensation. How often or does it, most employees even know that that's correct or do they fight it? You know, most employees know that something is wrong has happened. If someone's making a negative change, you know, you're going to know if the employer's reduced your pay by 25%. You're going to know if you've been relocated or demoted. What a lot of employers, uh, employees, I should say, don't know is that there's recourse here mm-hmm. and they think, well, I'm, I'm very unhappy about this. It's not something I want but the employer says, I have no choice. And that's exactly what was, what's going to happen in every one of those cases. The employer is going to say, well, we're not giving you a choice. There's no option B, except I'm telling you there is an option B. <laughs> right. And that's why, why I'm here. And option B is no, you don't accept it. And if the employer insists, uh, you get severance. So a lot of people in, invariably accept these changes that are completely uh, unreasonable, that they don't like, that they don't, they don't want, because they just feel that there's no option B. But guess what? I've just told you what option B is. How about the sale of a business? Well, another again, good call. Uh, sale of a business, another type of a situation where your employment is actually considered to be terminated. So if your employer sells the business that you're working for, now you're, there's going to be someone else buying the business. First of all, obviously, if the new owner is not going to hire you, well, clearly you've been terminated. And they're and not then, obligated to. They're not obligated. Okay. No, an employer that buys a business, great question, John, does not have the obligation legally to hire an employee that worked for the previous business. And if the new owner doesn't uh, hire the employee, then the employee, of course, is terminated and the employee is entitled to severance from the, from the fir- former employer. But and where it gets more interesting and more tricky is in situations where the new employer does offer a job to the employee, but the employee doesn't want to accept it. In that situation, that is still a termination. And that means the employee still gets severance from the company that's selling the business, even though, technically speaking, no one's saying, I'm terminating you. All we're saying is we sold the business and tomorrow this other company is going to employ you. Now, depending on the reason as to why you're not going to accept a job with the buyer, uh, you may get your full severance or you may get only part of your severance, but you're still entitled to severance. So a sale of a business always results in a termination unless you've accepted or are accepting a job with the buyer. So if someone buys the business and they're changing nothing, they might paint the place. That is all they're doing. Your job's going to stay the same. The compensation package is all the same. You say, no, I still don't want it. Do you get a reduction? Yes. At How that much? point, you only get your minimum entitlements under really? the Employment Standards Act, oh. which uh, depending on the size of the company, could be a week or two weeks per year of service. Uh, so because there's really no good reason, because yep. you just, you know, I'm going to take this opportunity to go work somewhere else, and that's fine. So you're not going to get your full severance, but you're going to get some of, of your severance. And depending how long you've worked for the company, that could still be quite substantial. On the other hand, if there's a good reason why you're not accepting a job, maybe the job they're offering you is different, uh, different location, different pay, or maybe uh, with a different role completely, and you don't want that. That's not what you want. That's not what you had all these years. Right. Well, at that point, you're still getting your full, full severance because there's a good reason as to why you're not accepting. We'll take a short break. Lots more to go. The Employment Hour on Talk Radio AM 640 and AM 900 CHML. 
Get to our last segment here of this two-hour show, the Employment Hour, and we'll take a uh, phone call if you got them, 416-870-6400, star 640 on sale. We ju- had, Harold was on the line. We just lost Harold. Uh, I can read you what his question was, though. Terminated five months ago, Lior, uh, 28-year employee, got a week severance. Who's, this, who, who's ISIS employing this guy? What kind of severance <laughs> package is that? Yeah. 28 years, he gets a week. Even ISIS would do better than that. <laughs> yeah. No, so... Uh, so well, uh, how, uh, Harold, I'll, I'll tell you this right now. I mean, I, obviously, I don't know about uh, the circumstance that brought about the termination <laughs> of your employment. I don't know uh, your age or position. Yeah. But I can tell you right now, after 28 years, you're going to be looking at, at or close to 24 months of compensation. So if you're at a week, uh, I mean, wow, that that's probably it's a little more, shy. It's one of the more uh, inappropriate and, and, uh, and ridiculous uh, severance offers I've ever seen. So we need to talk about that if, if that's really what happened, Harold. So I encourage you to give me a call either back here on the show or off air because you're looking at 24 months of severance. Harold, we assume you're still listening. 416-216-5900. Again, 416-216-5900. That's not even funny. Yeah, no, it, it's, it's not. <laughs> I mean, on. I don't know what, what happened there, but right. that would be... Oh, maybe Harold will be calling us back. It's not Harold again. Harold, is this you? Yeah. Same Harold? I'm back. That is an excellent package you got. One week. Like it's enough money to buy a pack of gum. What's the uh, what's the uh, what's the situation, Harold? Yeah, they uh, work construction, so they told me that uh, being construction that they don't have to pay me any more than a week. <laughs> well, Harold, we've talked about exactly this topic yep. as John knows several times. That's wrong. You get exactly the same as if you were working in an office completely unrelated to construction. If you've been there for twenty eight years, and Harold, how old are you? I'm Harold, sorry. How old are you, Harold? Uh, 56. Yeah, so you, you'd be looking at very close to, to 24 months, right in that 20 to 24-month range of compensation. Not a week. There's no ifs, there's no buts, there's no maybes here. That's for sure. So you okay. give me a call. Uh, this is not going to be difficult to resolve. I've done this more times than I can count. So please give me a call off air, and, and let's chat about this tomorrow, and let's get this resolved because a week is, uh, I mean, yeah, no, that's a uh, joke. That's a joke, frankly. Yeah. It is. Again, Harold, 416-216-5900. That, that could possibly, in two years, be the worst compensation we've ever seen. Well, let me say this, John. And, and you know, he's in construction, and, and, and that was uh, some misconception. Next week, we'll talk about some misconceptions that people yes. have. One of them is the fact that people that work construction, in the construction industry, different laws, different rules apply to them. Well, there are some different rules and different laws, but when it comes to your severance, the amount of compensation that you're owed if your employment is terminated, there are no different rules. There are no different laws. The same laws apply. So if you're in construction, your job is terminated, you get severance based on your length of employment, your age, and the type of job that you have. And for someone like Harold, that could be 24 months of compensation. Terminationquestions.com. Lay it on me. Right. John, as I've said in the first hour, again, access to information for people that, that are joining us now. I, wanna, I want you to know what your rights are. I want to make it easy for you as possible to get that information. Uh, you know, you, you may think, well, I don't know if I should call a lawyer. I don't know if I like lawyers. No one likes lawyers uh, for some reason. So you, I want to make it as easy for you as possible. So I created terminationquestions.com. We launched it last week. And what it is, is it allows you to ask a question right online, anonymously. You don't have to give your name or anything like that. And then I'll answer your question online. It's completely free. There's nothing there other than giving you information. I will answer it within minutes, and you can get the answer right online. You can follow up uh, questions if you have them. Uh, There's no real limit there or anything like that. So if you are concerned about your legal entitlements, if you lost your job, if you're concerned about losing your job, you have questions about your situations, 
whether the employer's done things right, you go to terminationquestions.com right now or tomorrow or at any time, uh, and you answer, ask the question, and I will answer. So, so think about that. Tell your friends about it. Tell your colleagues if they have questions. It's a really neat tool to do, and I'll give you their straight goods. As you know, I don't, I don't beat around the bush. I actually tell you what the answer is, terminationquestions.com. And right at the top of that, there is a link. You can click on it for Severance Pay Calculator. That's right. right? Again, more access to information. You've just lost your job. Uh, you want to know if the severance offer you're looking at is appropriate. You don't know if it is. It says you're, you get three months or whatever it is. And, or a week or after 28 years. Or a week years. after 28 <laughs> years, exactly. So, uh, so how do you find out? Very simply, severancepaycalculator.com, or you download the severance calculator on iPhone, iPad, and Android, uh, and it tells you. You enter how long you've worked, the type of job that you have, and your age. And it's going to calculate exactly how much severance you're owed. And then you can look at that and compare it with what you've been offered. If what you've been offered is fine, okay. If it's not fine, then guess what? You can contact me if you want straight from the, uh, from the severance calculator. And we can talk about that and, and, and talk about how to improve your severance offer. So severancepaycalculator.com. Thousands of people have used it since we launched it last year. Uh, I'm very, very happy, very proud of it. And, and I've gotten some tremendous feedback. Please go check it out and uh, and use it. And don't be shocked at the results. It's not a glitch. The numbers are not wrong. You, you know, just, we've had just, calls, yeah, right, exactly. John? People saying, you know, you have a glitch here, Elioria. This, this is telling me I should be getting 12 months compensation. Obviously, that's wrong. It can't be. There's no glitches. I promise you. It works just fine. The reason why people... Uh, don't uh, think that, that, that it's right is because you, you, you go online, you read misconceptions, or your employer may tell you that you're only owed this or that. So the only way to, to know the straight goods is call us on the show, call me at the office, use severancepaycalculator.com, or now go to terminationquestions.com. Another great two hours, guys. We'll wrap it until next week off air. It's Lior at employmenthour.com. Duff a couple different numbers to get a hold of either Lior or Savan in the office. Lior is 416-216-5900. And Savan, not very much different. 416-216-5910. You got questions about disability insurance. They cover it all. Glad you were with us this week. Good job, uh, Jalissa, the magician on the board. Rockstar. We'll do it all again next week, right here in the Employment Hour on Talk Radio AM 640.